0: You're listening to Human Faces with me Suda. I'm going to be exploring the psychology behind our face and how it has the power to change our lives. So stay tuned and stay connected. Hi and welcome to another episode of Human Faces. I'm here today With Andrea, who is a very good friend of mine, who's also a nurse and her bleep has just gone off. So this is exactly real life healthcare provision. Are you going to be okay to continue, Andrea? Yes. Okay, lovely. So um, Andrea is, um, so I work in a head and neck cancer unit and Andrea is one of our Macmillan nurses and for people who don't know what that means, uh, Macmillan are a charity organization that help fund nursing support for patients who have cancer. And I've just been talking to Andrea, and she's been telling me she's been a nurse for 25 years, which is incredible service. No wonder your bleep's going off right now. <laughs> and then, of that, you've been working for Macmillan for 15 years. Mm-hmm. And of that, you have been head and neck specialist nurse for 13 years. That is a long time. Mm-hmm. Patients must feel so um, impressed with the experience you bring to their care. What do you think?
1: I would say definitely, because obviously I have a wealth of experience of caring for patients with head and neck cancer. Um, and I guess when I'm seeing patients, um, this, this is definitely represented. Um, I have a wealth of knowledge and experience having looked after patients from the point of diagnosis and through their treatment.
0: I mean when I see patients who have cancer, especially when I first tell them they've got cancer, I always feel I've got backup when I've got you around mm. and you always provide amazing support, information and I feel like I don't have to worry about what I'm going to say to the patients because you're there with the real life advice they need and obviously I didn't, I didn't realize you'd been working as a nurse for so long mm. but given the experience you bring it makes sense. So today um, we wanted to talk about how our patients cope with disfigurement Mm -hmm. and I think that's kind of something that we don't talk about a lot. Um, We talk about what cancer is, how to treat cancer, who survives cancer but we don't really so much talk about living with cancer and then deserving to, patients deserving to live well after having cancer and with the cancer and disfigurement is a big, big factor. So I think it's great that we're going to talk about this topic, and it's something that you feel passionately about. So firstly, what I wanted to ask you is, when you first see patients, do they ask about this? Do you think they're thinking about this figment?
1: Definitely. I think it very much depends on where the cancer is. So if they have a visible cancer, so a cancer on the nose or on the lip, um, they often ask about, appearance post-surgery so how am i going to look having had an operation for cancer i mean obviously the priority for the patient is to get rid of the cancer but also there is a focus on how am i going to look how a patient's going to perceive me how is my partner going to look at me and accept me having had um surgery so there is always always a concern about disfigurement um and about the support that's out there for these patients as well. So normally when I meet a patient, obviously we focus on the treatment for the, the cancer and we talk about the impact of having surgery and how they're gonna look like after the surgery. We talk about the support that's available to them. So we talk about meeting another patient who's may have had a similar operation um, and getting them to meet that patient before they have an operation, attending the head and neck support group, meeting other patients in a similar situation who can share their experiences with these patients who are going through surgery. Um, And we talk about the aftercare, so what we can do for patients after they've had the surgery, after the, the, the wounds have healed completely. Um, talking about moving forward and looking at organisations such as Changing Faces, um, looking at Macmillan, um, looking at the Look Good, Feel Good International Cancer Support Group, who also support patients with visible um, scarring after treatment. So it's so interesting. You
0: mentioned um, patients asking about what will happen with the disfigurement, because as a doctor, I don't get those questions. Mm. Do you think... Do they do they volunteer it or do you often, you ask it or how do you approach that? Because are
1: they always thinking that, do you think? Surprisingly, a lot of patients will ask about, you know, how will I look having had this operation? I think... You know we, we talk to the patients about you know, removing the cancer, the reconstruction. With regards to oral surgery it's obviously internal but I think when we're talking to patients they can't visualize that because we're doing such extensive surgery that it's all on the inside and not on the outside. So patients will often ask you know how will I look, where will the scars be, so we explain In detail to them that obviously the scarrings internally but there will always be a scar on the neckline and we we obviously aim to to operate in the natural creases so the scar won't be that visible with regards to as I said nasal surgery or lip surgery obviously that's more visible Mm. Um, and and people realize that yeah they do do you ever get patients
0: not wanting to talk about it in front of because you mentioned partners Mm. And I think people come to those clinics with their partners. They do, yeah. How what is that interaction like? Do the partners ever ask questions, or do the do the patients
1: not want to talk about it in front of their partners? Do you get do you get that I've kind had, of challenge? Yeah, I've had different experiences. So some patients with their partners will will approach it together, and then I've had um, partners who've approached me kind of separately because obviously they don't want to. They want to support their partners going through treatment and they don't want to have a conversation in front of their partner who's going through the treatment about the impacts of having treatment and the alteration or disfigurement. So they don't want to, they're protecting obviously their partner so they don't want to have that conversation in front of them. Um, And I suppose it's been open and honest with, with both sides, so with the patient and with the partner of what the expectations will be. And I think you know, sometimes we forget that partners see that, you know, see their loved ones immediately after surgery, where there is a lot of postoperative swelling. Yeah. And that can be quite alarming if you haven't prepared somebody for that. Yes. So I always, you know, speak in front of the patient to the partner and say, you know, when, when you visit your partner after surgery, don't be too alarmed by the swelling. Um, you know, they are going to look different, but that's because it's post-surgery and things will settle down but it takes a few days for things to settle down but I think if you prepare somebody at the beginning then they cope with it a lot better because it can be quite frightening for partners
0: you say that because you know what that reminds me of it reminds me of like preparing parents with a cleft children Mm. it's when the cleft child is delivered they're prepared for it Mm. and that makes such a huge difference and I can imagine in these cases the, that initial interaction between the partner and the patient when they wake up or, you know, when they're recovering from surgery is so important and they can probably read a look of horror mm. in their partner's mm. face and that can be something that stays with them. Mm. I didn't even think about this. I mean, mm. I, I treat, I've been looking after like yeah. cancer patients
1: all this time, but you're right, That makes that's, mm. I that's have so had, powerful. I have had partners come back to me and thank me for preparing them. Really? Yeah, okay, because as you say looking at somebody's face so the patient looking at their partner's face you know your face can speak volume so I think you can yeah. probably see the horror on someone's face if you haven't prepared them so I think it's important to prepare partners if they've got children for example it's preparing the children as well in preparation for you know their parents coming through treatment or yeah. coming through surgery and I don't encourage children to come immediately post-op because yes. of the post-op swelling, because of all the, the, you know, the attachments, if you like, the, the drips, the drains. It mm, can be quite scary for the yeah, children. Yeah, definitely. So I think children need quite a lot of psychological preparation. Anyway, even with coming into hospital and seeing your parent in hospital, it's really frightening yes. for a child.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. The other thing you mentioned, which I want to go back to, is you mentioned, so one of the ways to prepare is by seeing other patients and patient support mm. groups. Do you think that scares some patients?
1: I think it helps them in the long run. And the feedback that we get is that, you know, meeting someone, talking to somebody about their experience allays a lot of fears and a lot, lot of anxieties. And they benefit in the long term from meeting somebody beforehand and when I think when you explain a treatment or and you explain surgery and it's such complex surgery um, I think you know automatically your mind runs away with you and I think you can't you know you can't always imagine what you're going to look like or how you're going to feel or how how you're going to be after the operation for example so I think the experience I've had and the feedback I've had from patients who've actually met other patients have had a similar experience as more of a positive yeah. um, experience and they are better prepared and recover far quicker from you know from surgery having been more prepared so psychologically emotionally more prepared. So
0: we've got the patient groups and obviously they get loads of support from the healthcare professionals such mm-hmm. as yourself and there's obviously this p- other people dealing with disfigurement and other situations as well. In your experience, where else have you, or maybe patients have suggested things they've done to prepare themselves, have you come mm-hmm. across anything else or anything else you recommend?
1: Well, we've, we've used other organisations such as Changing Faces. So um, I've recently referred a patient to Changing Faces who had um, facial surgery um, so, so that they can be supported with for example, the, the physical side of things of so looking at camouflage makeup and I think it's it's quite personal to the patient as well, so I think it's very important to explore before you refer somebody on for you know camouflage makeup that they are they wear makeup and they're comfortable in wearing makeup because you don't want to direct somebody to um, a service if it doesn't suit them, if that makes sense. So, you know, I've had patients in the past who don't wear makeup and don't want to wear makeup, although they have a facial disfigurement post-surgery. So it's not the right thing to do to offer them a camouflage service where they've never worn makeup before and they're not intending to wear makeup. So I think it's all very individualised. But yes, Changing Faces, the Camouflage Makeup Service are often organisations that I encourage patients to... Um, to obviously, um, to seek support from. Or so, I what do what do they them. do
0: with their makeup? Is this uh, do they just tell them what brands to use or how to apply there's it? No, what there's works? normally
1: a consultation. Okay. Um, so they will be seen and assessed, and they will discuss with those patients what products are best for them to use. Um, so it's, it's a you know personal, individualized consultation. Okay, and then um, so is
0: this regular makeup or do they use? Is it like stage makeup? Is it thicker stuff? Do you know? Or is, is it, going a it variety? It probably very
1: much depends on, you know, the scar, for mm-hmm. example. It, uh, I, it's an individualized yeah. assessment, so I would imagine it would very much depend on the location um, of the scar, the severity of the disfigurement. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure about the branding yeah. of, of of. And you said it's,
0: it depends on the patient as well. Mm. I think there is... Um, a very superficial way that some people can look at it and be like oh just just put some makeup on it it'll mm-hmm. be fine mm-hmm. when actually even putting makeup on your face is not right for everyone mm-hmm. that in itself can be emotionally mm-hmm. scarring if you yes. previously didn't wear makeup and suddenly yeah. you've been asked to put a whole bucket load yes. that in itself is yeah, no, it's not right for you um so who's offering the is it are these beauticians like specialized
1: beauticians or the specialist nurses who um, do you know Volunteers, I believe. Okay. Um, so I'm not sure whether they're makeup artists, um, but I believe it's all on a voluntary basis.
0: No, I didn't know about this service until you told me just recently, and I think it just sounds incredible. Like, um, I think it makes such a huge difference. I think it's so easy as healthcare providers to just be thinking, okay, there's surgery, there's radiotherapy, there's, mm. and then you forget that, and then you know, there's tablets. Mm. But of course, there's all this other stuff you could mm. also use. And makeup just seems so basic, mm. but so powerful. Mm. And the other thing is um, tattoos as well, because mm. you can get tattoos to cover up. In the past, I've worked with breast cancer patients, mm. and obviously you tattoo on nipples and mm. things. Mm. And that would, I guess, that could work for um, for some of our mm. patients as well. Mm. Um. So there's ways that you can physically alter yourself mm. to cope with the scarring. But I think the hardest thing has got to be emotionally coming to terms mm. with the scarring. Mm. Um, and I, I find this incredible. I think I'm always telling patients to move on from after the cancer. Mm. But when you've got this big disfigurement, mm. um I just I'm I'm humbled by the number of patients who do move on and mm-hmm. the and I've we've got we've got a patient who um she has a name for her disfigurement she names mm-hmm. it like it's something additional to her in a, in a funny way she's made mm-hmm. it into a joke and I think that's just so brave and powerful mm-hmm. um what kind of things what good behavior traits have you seen people do to help them cope what's what works in in your experience
1: I think talking about the disfigurement so being honest about the way that they feel, and talking to healthcare professionals, so obviously addressing their concerns with us, um, having good family support. I think patients will come through their treatment and cope with their disfigurement or disability better with with obviously the support of of family and healthcare professionals. And I think in some instances, we need to refer patients on for you know counselling for psychological support. Um Because your face is very visible yes, um and you know when you've when you 've got a disfigurement, it is very visible, and I think you know on the outside you can hide it, but sometimes on the inside you can't so it's yes. developing i think as as a patient developing coping strategies and seeking the right support um so whether it be counseling um, or other psychological support, you know I would encourage that if someone was struggling. Not coping with it alone. That's right, yeah. That's the important thing, isn't it? And that's why the work you do and
0: the many race during Macmillan is so important Mm. because, you know, we need so much more support. We could do with even so much more. So having Mm. that additional support is so important. Yeah, no,
1: definitely. And I think for partners, I mean, partners, I would say, suffer in silence because they're there to support their you know their partners who are going through treatment but i think they also find it quite difficult to deal with the you know the psychological and the physical impact of having a disfigurement yeah and i'm not sure they always share that with the healthcare professionals because they're always there in support of the person that's going through it so i think they probably suffer in silence as well
0: yeah, and I think, you know, I'm the first one to admit it, I, I almost ignore the partner. I don't really ask them direct questions about their coping and how they're feeling. And mm. you just don't do that in a consultation that's about the mm. patient. But you're right, they're also going through mm. the cancer mm. in a different way, but they're also going through it. And yeah. in many ways, they can't voice their concerns no, and no. their feelings.
1: And it, I would say it definitely has a, you know, psychological impact. them as well.
0: Do you find that relationships get stronger or break down in these kind of situations?
1: I've seen well I suppose I've seen strong relationships to be honest with you and you know we see the patient we see their family and there is so much support with regards to patients and their families and they must be going through such a difficult stressful traumatic time um as a result of having had a cancer diagnosis and a disfigurement so it's a kind of a constant reminder that you've yes. been through a cancer journey if you've had your disfigurement as a result of the cancer yeah it's but like I, a obvious souvenir you constantly have mm, attached to you mm. but no i i i see strong families together supporting each other um and i think you know we try and and manage situations holistically so we're looking at the patient and we're looking at the family and including the family and I think as a Macmillan nurse we are there for the patient as well as the family so supporting the the whole family. Yeah that's really important. Yeah to come to terms with obviously the diagnosis and the treatment and the consequences of having had treatment and living with those consequences.
0: Yeah I think to people on the outside it can seem a lot like cancer is just about something that you have to survive whether you survive or not is the important thing. But I think on deeper reflection, you realize that it's, it's a part of someone's life. Mm-hmm. It changes their life forever, mm-hmm. whether they survive it or not. So, um, and there are cases when, so I guess what we didn't talk about, which is um, we talked about people who survive cancer and how mm-hmm. they cope, but there are patients who are not surviving and they've got terminal cancer and mm-hmm. then they've got large tumours growing. Mm. And I think that's, I I find that the most difficult thing to help people Mm. cope with Mm. when they're actually dying of the cancer and and the tumour is so large Mm. you can see it and Mm. it's the disfiguring Mm. reminder. Mm. What have you found that's
1: worked in those situations? Or how do you prepare patients for that? It's always very difficult because They've not only got a disfigurement, but often there's other symptoms associated with, for example, a fungating tumour. So you could have a discharging wound, Mm. a very offensive wound, a bleeding wound. So you're coping with a cancer diagnosis as well as the symptoms, which are often very distressing for the patient and the, the surrounding family. So we would obviously involve the community teams so that get the community quality care team.
0: Is that um, nurses that go to people's houses? or Yes, okay.
1: so there's are specialist nurses that see patients at home and support them you know with end of life care. With. The specialist symptom control we would involve local hospices day care units but you often find that patients with advanced head and neck cancer who have a disfigurement because of a large tumour and a fungating tumour, they tend not to want to you know, go to community centres because of the odour of the the tumour, for example. Um, maybe having a, a wound that's discharging, that dressings need to be changed. They're quite self-conscious, so they tend to isolate themselves. Mm. So it's being visited at home, being supported at home, um, you know, through the GP, the district nurses, the community palliative care team. And it's so important, I think, too, because I think sometimes it
0: seems like cancer is about fighting cancer. So it's not always about surviving cancer, but we need to support people who are terminal with cancer mm. as well. And that's just as important.
1: Yeah, it's focusing on, you know, quality of life and what's important to that person and their family. Yeah. So that's why it's so important to have
0: these support networks. Mm. And having worked for Macmillan... Uh, and looking after cancer patients this whole time. Um, for, patient, for people out there listening who don't understand why it's, you know, it's, it's just another illness, why does it need all this extra funding? Why does it need all this extra support? What would be your kind of comment on
1: that based on your experience? I think we are invaluable to looking after patients with, with cancer so we're supporting patients from the point of diagnosis through or even pre-diagnosis through a very distressing time and stressful time when they are waiting for a diagnosis. So we're supporting patients really from the beginning um, at the point of diagnosis through their cancer experience, through their treatment and beyond that. So I would say we're key to, to looking after patients along with the wider multidisciplinary team.
0: And obviously, everything we're talking about is in the UK. We provide. Which is there a. There would be a cancer specialist nurse for everyone in the UK who has cancer? Is that how it works? We have
1: site specific um, ca- um, Macmillan nurses. Okay.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and do you know. What about other parts of the world? I can't really. Have comment. you come across any? No, yet? but I would imagine there is obviously support for patients, yeah. but I'm, I'm not sure what that support is and whether it's similar to what we're doing here in the UK. And
0: I know the support you, you come to clinic, obviously you see patients in clinic, they can contact you, you've got access to the community teams that mm-hmm. you mentioned. Um, how else do you get involved in looking after patients? So
1: we see, as you say, we see patients on the ward, we see patients in clinic and we offer telephone support as well. And as you say, we liaise very closely with the community teams Um, Head and neck cancer is rare, it's complex and patients have complex symptoms so often the community teams will ring us for advice. So we're a liaison between the community and the hospital so we can facilitate patients coming to clinic if they've got problems. Supporting patients in the community, avoiding A and E sometimes. Yeah, because you don't want to be stuck
0: in hospital for an extra number of days if
1: you've already going
0: through so much treatment. So,
1: you know, we liaise. It's the important. You know, it's important to liaise with with the community teams and keep people at home if that's where they want to be and avoid hospital admissions. Of course. So it's you know supporting the community teams to support these patients in the community with their specific needs and complex needs often. Yes.
0: I mean, I know it's complex needs because often when I'm in trouble, I come to you and you veil me with your experience. So it's, it is truly invaluable. And for the people listening to this, there may be some people listening who've just found out they've got cancer and they're looking for the kind of support. How can
1: they access Macmillan Nursing Support? They would need, to, you can access it basically online um, or you can ring, um, there is a telephone number that you can ring and it's 0808. 8080000 and that's the Macmillan um cancer line we'll or you put can, that up in writing as well or you can visit macmillan.org.uk um so that there is access to macmillan nurses on the helpline and it's really important
0: as what we were saying that not to go through this alone So if you've just been diagnosed with cancer or you're coping with it or someone you know is and if you need support, Macmillan is a port of call. Or if you're just interested and you want to learn more or you want to support Macmillan and other charities, this is also a good place to go. Um, And I think it's been really useful to talk about this stuff, talk about how cancer affects patients and how disfigurement affects them as well and how it affects their quality of life. So hopefully listening to this has been interesting to some of you and maybe even informative to some other people. Uh, And hopefully we'll see you um, on the next podcast. Thank you, Andrea. Thank you.